Um, we got, how many of you guys were here last week? You guys hear the reasoners speak? That was amazing. Those guys are just amazing people. Um, this, their heart for people, their heart for the lost, and their heart for, for basically children who have no parents or are in, are in fo- foster care or in need of adoption. But um, yeah, just to, just to be able to, to hear their story. I mean, God has blessed them with so many kids and just the ability to help so many people that aren't actually their kids, but just take them in and, and, and to love them. But um, it was a great break from what we've been talking about. We've been talking about a lot about identity and how we see ourselves, but how we see other people. And we've, um, this is, uh, I'm going to, this message today is, is not going to be something that I want you guys to go away and going. I really wonder what he meant by that. I'm going, I, want to, I, want to, this one, I want this message to be a reminder of what God says about you and what, you've, what he says about you and, and who you are and who you've been created to, to be. So, as we know, God created us in his image. That means that we are image bearers, that we carry an aspect of God in us. We, we look like God in some way. And I'm not saying in our physical form, but in our spirit, we, we are like God. And so... When we're born again, he basically recreates us. He says, you know, I'm not going to add, I'm not going to take something and, and put a couple, you know, used parts. I'm not going to go to the junkyard and put a new part on here and a part on here and, and kind of re, you know, refurbish it. I'm going to recreate it. So what he does is he kills the old us and recreates us and makes us new, makes us blameless before him. And, and it's the blood of Jesus that covers us. The blood of Jesus is what makes us holy and blameless before God. And I started to think about this this week, and I, and I was thinking about, um, you know, growing up as a kid, my, uh, my grandmother was Dutch, and um, so it was the Love, Love Rink cookbook, which had a lot of casseroles and had a lot of jello molds. Um, and it made me start thinking, and I was thinking about all those weird, funky jello molds that she made when I was a kid, and they were always in weird tin shapes, or they were in, you know, and some of you are shaking your head like, yeah, I still make those, or yeah, I've eaten, I've eaten one of those. And it made me start to think about it because she always did like this red jello with carrots in it. And, I, and, my, and as a kid, I'm thinking, I just want jello. I just want jello, and I don't want carrots in my jello. Yeah, it's a, it's a Dutch thing. I, I really believe it is. Um, and she'd shave carrots and, and mix it in with the jello. And, and so I started to think about that. And I'm like, okay, carrots, yeah, they're great. Jello, yeah, it's awesome. Together, no, it's kind of messy kind of crappy doesn't taste very good um apparently dutch people really like it and um so uh yeah i don't have i must not be any dutch or any hollander in me because i don't like carrots and jello mix but it made me start to think about this because what she would do is she would layer carrots on the bottom of the jello she'd put like little baby carrots or small carrots at the bottom and then pour the jello over and then put like mix shredded carrots in it and it made me start to think about this because she'd always bring this jello mold out and then flip it and then those carrot those and it made me start to think because you could look through the jello and you could see the carrots sticking in, the, in these little carrots in the jello. It made me really start to think about this. That's how God sees us. He sees us in Christ. We're that little carrot in that jello mold. And the only way he can see us is through that jello mold. So that red jello with that orange carrot in there. I know it's a weird analogy, but that's what came into my head. And I was thinking about that because I was eating jello this week. And I'm like, I'm like, oh, no carrots. Good. And, um, it made me start to think because there's these little carrots in this jello mold and they're just jiggling around in there and they're just looking weird and funky and 
Um, I really, I got, I'm thinking, I'm like, man, is that how God sees us? Weird and funky and floating around in Christ. I mean, don't get me wrong. I mean, we're, God sees us and he loves us, but that's kind of who we are. We're this little person in a big God that's in the big blood of Jesus that covers us. And that's how God sees us. I'm not saying there's going to be jello molds with carrots in heaven by any means. It probably won't because that's probably like one of the sins that God really hates is carrots and jello put together. But we are, we're so much like that because the blood of Jesus is so big and we're so little when it comes to the blood of Jesus. Our sin is so small when it comes to the blood of Jesus and we're in him, in his blood. How God sees us is because we're in Jesus. And I'm not saying Jesus is a jello mold by any means or, or raspberry or strawberry jello, but that's how he sees us. He views us through a lens of the blood of Jesus covering us in every area of our lives. And it's perfect. There's no, there's no anything that can, that can blemish that. And he sees us and he says, you know what? You're my son. You're my daughter. My son has made you spotless because of his blood. So each one of us, when we're born again, we're living in Jesus, but God is living in us. God is not just one of these people that says, okay, you're born again. Now I'm just going to leave you to yourself. He goes, I'm going to come and I'm going to inhabit your heart. I'm going to inhabit your life. I'm going to start to work in your life. So when God works in us, we start to see the world different. When God starts to change, you guys ever had that perspective? God just starts doing something and you look at that perspective and you're like, I can't believe I thought that way. I can't believe I saw things that way. And I can't believe that I actually acted that way. And so when God starts to live in us, things start to change. Our world starts to, to things that were cool at one point kind of look like, I don't really want to do this anymore. Or if it's like, I really enjoy this and God starts to change the, our, our heart. He takes selfishness out and he puts, he puts uh, tenderheartedness in for other people. He, he starts to remove the things in our life that need to be removed and puts in the things that, that are part of his character that need to be put in. So each one of us is, is, has God living in us. So how we live is what the world sees of God. So however we walk out, our walk with Christ is how the people around us see God, especially non-believers. A, a pre-Christian, if they are not influenced by anybody in the church or by anybody who's a Christian, and they start to see your life, they're going to say, okay, well, they go to church, they love God, that's my, that must be how God is. You know, God works in us and he removes things. I mean, I, I've watched God in my own life and in other people's lives take out things that were, were dangerous for the people around them and harmful to the people around them and put in things, you know, it says his perfect love cast out fear. So I, I've watched people so afraid of, of living life, of everything. Well, I can't go here because I, there might be an accident and I can't do this because I, don't, I might slip and fall and, and, and I can't do this because I might, you know, someone could trip and I can't do this. And, and it's like, God's just like, okay, hold on, hold on. I'm right here. Let me, let me reassure you, I'm gonna take care of you. Again, things happen in life, but when we live life, in that mindset of fear. And God says, let me take that out of you and put my love in you. His perfect love cast out fear. Love, the perfect love of God and fear cannot live in the same spot. Cannot be. It's same light and darkness. There cannot be light and darkness in the same spot. So when 
God comes into our life. He says, you know what? I'm going to start plucking things out of your life and start putting good things out. The bad things, fear, I'm going to pull fear out. And you'll have confidence in who I am. You'll know that I'm there. I was watching this um, program on television last night, and it was about this lady who got in this accident. And um, it, you may have heard of it. She was basically going down the road and a semi hit her and ran over her vehicle. And then she was actually, her car was actually hanging over the overpass. And two kids and her two kids and her were in this. And she, she's literally hanging by the frame of this BMW and these two tires by the rebar on this bridge. And she's literally hanging there. And they were there for like an hour. And so they, they finally saved him. But she was talking about how she was so afraid of, of dying. And, and I can understand that, that mindset. I've been in an accident and it's like, oh my gosh, you know, you, you like, am I alive? You, you get hit or you, you get in an accident. I mean, and, but what was funny is, is this, is even though that accident had happened and she was, um, fine and her kids were fine, her, her daughter had some broken bones and different things like that. And her, her baby only had some scratches, but, and she had only come out with a couple broken bones. And, but I noticed that even after the accident, this is four years after the accident, she still lived in fear of, of doing that. And, I'm, I, and I, I can't condemn her by any means of driving and that, having that kind of an accident where a semi runs over you and then you're hanging from an overpass. That is, I'm not saying her fear is not. But to have fear so great that they, won't, they struggle to get back into a vehicle. And that's tough, I know. I've been in an accident where probably should have ended up dead, but I didn't. And... But God says, you know what? You've had an issue in the past. You've had fear in the past. Let me come in and take that fear away from you. Give yourself to me. Let me work in you so I can pull that fear out of you. We all have fear. Fear is a common thing. Fear is what the devil uses to get us out of the will of God. He starts with doubt. And we're like, should I do this? I don't know. I kind of doubt that. We start to get doubt. Doubt is like that that crack in the door for the devil to put fear into our life. So, but God says, let me pull those things out of you. Let me pull the fear out of you and put confidence in you. Let me put my love into your life. Because when I put my love into your life, the perfect love of God casts out fear. So we don't have to be afraid of anything. We, it says that we don't even have to be afraid of death. Because as Christians, death has no power over us. Because when, when we die, we know where we're going. So, if we look, you guys want to turn to Romans 6 for me? So I'm going to remind you a, a little bit of who we are. You know, I was uh, listening to something and the, and the guy was saying, he goes, you know what, sometimes we have to, we forget who we are and sometimes we need someone to call us out and call us up into who we really are. We need someone to give us that pep talk, give us that rally cry to, to remind us who we are and to step up into what that, per, that person that we've been created to be. So Romans 6 says that we're, uh, a slave, we're not a slave to sin, but we, we're slaves to freedom. That doesn't make a lot of sense if you, if, you, if you don't read the rest of the scripture. But Paul is writing the Roman church and he's saying, you know what? You've been freed from sin. You're not bound by it you're not enti- you're, it's not you're not required to do anything by it as a slave what is a slave required to do we've we've watched the uh um different movies uh 12 years a slave not saying it's the best movie in the world but if you've ever watched that movie 
A movie will rock your world. It's, it's, it's incredible. Um, and um, it reminded me that if we are no longer slaves to sin, that means we're not required to do things. It's not our master. As a slave, you have a master. And if sin is your master, you have to do what it tells you to do. As a slave, you're required to do what your master tells you to do. You do this when he says this. You do this when he says that. And so sin, if it is our master, that means we're a slave to it. So let me get there real quick here. Romans 6. You guys are already there. I'm not even there yet. I'm going to start in verse 1 then. And this is the Amplified, and it says, What shall we say? Are we to remain in sin in order that God's grace and favor and mercy can multiply? I'm going to switch translations because you guys are wondering what I'm doing here. Verse 2 says, By no means how how can we who died to sin still live in it? So we are dead to sin. That means we have no consciousness of it we have no understanding of it that means it has no hold over us and we are blameless so the sin that we had before when we surrendered our life to jesus christ was washed away he recreated us brought us into the ground brought us out of the ground we died to it we were buried therefore with him by baptism into death So that means when Jesus died, he died as us, for us, so that we could be blameless before God. You know, a lot of times you'll hear people say, Jesus died for me. No, he died as you. He literally died as every one of us in this room, everyone in this world, he died as that person. He took the full sin of each person for for the entire length of time that humanity has been around and died as each and every single person. We were buried with him by baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So he says, you died with him in baptism, you died with him so you could walk in a brand new life. Fully blameless, fully able to live without having sin in your life. So we're no longer slaves, but we're free to Christ. We are slaves to righteousness. So that means righteousness, the goodness of God, the kindness of God, everything that that has God's character, God's qualities is part of our life. That controls our life. God doesn't come into our life and say, okay, you're born again, you're sinless, you're shameless, now I'm going to control your life. He doesn't say that. But when we are born again, we surrender ourselves to Christ and we say, you know what? You're going to be my master. There's a difference between a slave and a co-laborer. But we, what we do is we surrender our lives to Christ to make him our master. Because what he, he even says, he goes, my yoke is easy. My yoke is easy. So he's saying, you surrender yourselves to righteousness. That becomes your master, but it's not hard to surrender yourselves to that. It's not it's not going to be a detrimental thing. So let's get back to Romans here. Verse 5. 
For if we've been united with him in death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in resurrection. We know that our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing, so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. Now if we have died in Christ, we, we believe that he will all, we will also live in him. We now know that Christ being raised from the dead will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. For, death he di- for the death he died, he died to sin once and for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. So you must also consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. Back to the jello mold. <laughs> we are in Christ Jesus. We're that little carrot floating around in the, in the, in the life of Christ Jesus. So... You know, we're just jiggling around in there. We're, we're hanging out. We're doing what God is asking us to do, but we're covered by the blood of Jesus. So, we're born again. We are no longer slaves to sin, but we're slaves to freedom, to righteousness. 1 John 3, 6 says, The ones who live in an intimate relationship with him do not persist in sin, but anyone who persists in sin has not seen and does not know the real Jesus. It's pretty clear what he's saying there. You know, John's saying, if you have an intimate relationship with him, you're not going to continue in sin. But if you continue in sin, you don't know who he is. You've not seen the real Jesus. And and I really believe that is true because I've seen people who who go to church and they love God and and the, the... years and years of church and then they have an encounter with God and all of a sudden something changes. They may be saved and they may be on their way to heaven but they don't have a real encounter with God and then when they have that real encounter with God something flips in them like a light switch and it's like ding, light bulb. And something changes in them immediately. And it could be the first time they meet, they are introduced to Jesus or it could be 10 years down the road but something switches in them and they realize that who Jesus is, and they realize his love for us, and they, and they realize his, his kindness towards us, and his mercy towards us, and his, his graciousness, and his, and, his, and his countenance towards us, and his, just his understanding of that sometimes who we are is not always what he sees in us, but he still loves us. When we know Jesus, sin is an afterthought. Because we are so focused on Jesus, we really don't care about anything else. And I'm not saying we don't go through life and work and do everything, but sin is a, is a, a byproduct of, of the old master. The old master is sin, and, and when we're dead to sin and alive to Christ, it doesn't even, it doesn't even, we don't even think about it. You know, I was raised in that, in that mindset of if you, say, if you do something wrong, you have to ask God for forgiveness because you need to get forgiven so you can go to heaven. And I, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying repentance isn't good. We need to repent for our sins. But it was in that thought of if I don't say, Jesus, I'm sorry, I'm not going to be good enough. And I'm not going to be forgiven. What's cool about God, salvation and forgiveness is salvation is a continual thing. We're born again. It continually is washing us. The salvation is continually washing us. And 
we live and it's, it's the blood of Jesus that continually washes us. So it's not like, oh no, I've got to go weekly and say that I'm sorry for what I've done and confess my sin and hopefully God will be okay with me at the end of the week. When we're born again, we're born again. When we're born again into the kingdom of God, we're into the kingdom of God. When we surrender our lives and, and fully surrender our lives to Jesus Christ, he says, okay, welcome in. Now, you're no longer a slave to sin. 1 John 1.12 says, But for all who did receive him and trust him, he gave them the right to be reborn as children of God. Our identity is children of God. Our identity is the sons and daughters of the Most High God. And so we live out that existence in... Sometimes we fail to live up to what God calls us. I'm, I'm guilty of that. We're all guilty of that. God calls us certain things and we fail to live up to what that is. You guys ever disappointed? You, might, you guys remember when you were kids and you disappointed your parents? And they didn't yell at you. They didn't say anything really to you except I'm just disappointed. And you're like, that's worse than almost being yelled at. And God holds us to a standard. He says, you know what? I call you this, live up to it. I call you righteous. I call you blameless. I call you spotless. I call you my sons, my daughters. I call you co-heirs of the kingdom. Live up to it. Act like I, what I, how I see you. He created us for good works. He, re, he recreated us to show his glory on earth. So when we're living our life... We were created to show his glory. We were created to show his kingdom to people that don't see it. We were set on this earth for a purpose. And that purpose is to show the glory of God and to bring people into the kingdom of God. But God says, I call you this. The same thing I call my son, I call you. Because you are my sons, you are my daughters. And he says, you know what, there's a standard I, I have. And he says, if you fall below that standard, my love for you doesn't change. My love for you never changes. My love for you when you're at your worst and you're on your sin fest is the same as when you're on, uh, right next to me. So don't allow your mind to think, man, if I'm, I'm off a little bit, God is saying, well, we're going to work on this and my love for you is going to change once you get back into where you need to be, then I'll love you a little bit more. But that's, that's totally false. The love of God is unchanging. There is no levels of the love of God. The love of God is just one monstrous thing that doesn't change in size. Whether we're sinning or not, we're not moving in, in and out of the love of God. Well, now I'm out of the love of God. Now I'm in the love of God. Now I'm halfway in and I'm just going to kind of ride the middle. There is no difference. The love of God is one spot. And it covers the entire world. It covers the universe because his love is that deep and that big that when we don't live in our identity, when we don't live up to the calling that he's called us to, to the standard, he says, you can be here. His love doesn't change. But he says, I've created you, I've given you an identity, I've called you to be this. Let's, let's live up to that. 
We, we have a standard, like in our household, we have a standard of this is how our children will act. If they don't act that way, and sometimes I don't act that way, I have to be corrected. Sometimes it's me correcting myself. Sometimes it's God saying, stop. And sometimes it's my wife saying, you shouldn't do that. And so there's a standard that we have as believers. We're created in his image. We're image bearers of God. We're, we're sons and we're daughters. And he says, I have a, I have a standard that you're going to live by. He created us for good works. He created us to show the glory of God to people so that we can, we can move people in that are still in the love of God, that don't even realize they're in the love of God, that their eyes will be open to the love of God because the love of God is infectious. The love of God is overwhelming and you can't get away from it. When you realize how much God loves you, it's almost overwhelming to a point that it's, It's, unbe- it's almost unbearable sometimes because you realize how much he loves you. And when we mess up, you don't feel that anger and condemnation. You feel that love and it's just like, it, it almost moves you to tears because of what we've done in our own sinful and selfishness. And when we feel the love of God and you're just like, man, why did I do that? Because the love of God is so powerful that he doesn't come up and say, hey, what'd you do? He just comes along and says, how'd that work out for you? He comes alongside of us and says, you know what, son, I love you. Didn't work out too well. Let's change the way we do things next time. He doesn't come up and go whack on the back of the head and say, stop doing that. Ephesians 2.10 says, God has made us what we are in Christ. God made us to do good works, which God planned in advance for us to, our, to live our lives doing this. So Jeremiah says, before you were born, before you were even conceived in your mother's womb, I knew you. He goes, God was putting us together knitting us together in our mother's wombs. And he said, I knew what I had before you were even born, before you were even formed, who you would be, what you would be, your destiny and what you would be doing. I knew the calling. He, he goes, I knew your calling to Jeremiah before you even, or your mother even knew she was pregnant. I knew what you were going to be. So if, if God knew Jeremiah and said, you're going to be this before you were even born, how much more does he have for each one of us? So he knew exactly before we were born, said, you know what? Debbie's going to do this. She's going to cut hair and she's going to be amazing at it. I know what, I'm going to, what she's going to be good at. I know what she's going to be good at. I know who she's going to marry. I know what kind of kid she's going to have. I know all these things. And she, he has a destiny for each one of us. And he says, I'm calling your destiny out in you before you're born. And I want you to live up to it. I want you to run towards it. One of the things that my wife and I always do with our kids is this, is we, and from the moment we knew we were pregnant, even before that, before we were pregnant, my wife was saying, I want a child that's this, I want this, I want this, I want the first one to be this. And she's, she's like declaring and praying over these things before our kids are born. I mean, literally, I mean, she's like, I want this to have this color hair and I want her to be this. I mean, Lana's like exactly what she had on the list of what she wanted <laughs> for that because she was praying for a year and just speaking it out and declaring over because 
after Layla was, when Layla was, when she was pregnant with Layla, there was a lot of sickness and, and a lot of attacks on her life. She said, you know what, this pregnancy, I know what the devil is going to try to do, and it's not going to happen because I'm going to pray this, I'm going to declare this, and it's not going to be part of my life. So we try, we, we know what our kids are good at. Again, they're growing in things. and We always gain new skills in life. But man, we call our kids out into a destiny and we say, you know what? You're going to be this. God has given you a heart for this and you're going to be good at this. You know, Layla, she's the most compassionate person ever. I mean, she finds birds in the yard that the cat's playing with and chipmunks and, and, and randomly finds pets alongside the road. And, you know, there was a, a baby raccoon one time she wanted to keep. And I mean, just, and she has a compassionate heart. But we've known that from the beginning, and we call her out into the destiny, and God gives us an understanding of who she's going to be. And I don't fully understand who she's going to be, but I call out that destiny in her, and I say, you know what, you're amazing at this. You are good at loving people and being kind to people. So God created us for good works. I'm teaching my children how to be people who do good works. And we're not a a works-based belief system. We love God, but we do things because God calls us out. God gives us talents and skills. So 1 Peter 2.9, but you are not like that for you have been chosen by God himself. You are our priest of the king. You are holy and pure. You're God's very own. All of this so that you may show to others how God called you out of the darkness into his wonderful light. So the love of God encompasses us all. It encompasses the world, but they just don't realize it. So he's calling us out of darkness and says, hey, come over here. Come experience my love. Because once our eyes are open to him, we experience his love. But he calls us out of darkness. He calls us priest of the king. It's amazing what he calls us. There was priests in the Old Testament and they had to go to the priest to sacrifice to God. But now he calls us priests. That means that we have that one-on-one connection with God. As children of God, we can go to God and say, hey, Dad, I need this. And, and I think sometimes in our life, we, we forget who we are. Sometimes we, we understand, oh, God loves us and he takes care of us. And, but sometimes as the children of God, we, we tend to take it for granted and forget about it, as all of our children have done at one point. You know, they get a little... Um, uh, what do you say, uh, forgetful of who supplies them and, and um, who takes care of them in their uh, young wisdom that they have. And um, so every now and then I have to remind my children, hey, remember uh, who pays the bills around here? Remember who takes care of the, the light bill when you leave your fan, the air conditioner, and all your lights on? And, um, or leave the door open in the middle of the winter? You know, we're sitting on the couch. I'm like, man, it's cold in here. Is the door shut? Yep. Middle door shut. If you guys have been in our house, our middle entry door shut. Other doors wide open, just cold air. And, and I'm like, I'm like, okay. Remember who pays the bills? But I think sometimes we forget who God is, and we take for granted who God is because we we get into situations and we're, we forget our identity, and we say, oh God, I, please, I just need this, and we forget that we're coming to Him more as a a, a um, payday advance than a father who takes care of his children. We come in as a pauper when he says, come in as a prince. Come in as a son instead of a beggar. Come in as a daughter instead of a widow. 
He, he says, come in as my sons and my daughters instead of coming in as a payday advance to go, hey, I can, I'll pay you this back. I'll pay you this back. You come in and you, you start to, you talk to your father and say, God, I just need this right now. I'm struggling with this right now. And you start to declare your inheritance and you start to, to call down what God has in your life. But we tend to go to God as a, as a lender. Well, God, you know, if, I, if you do this and then I'll do this. And we try to bargain with God, you know, like, hey, I'll... I'll bargain three good deeds for a little extra cash this week. And it doesn't work out that way. God doesn't work that way. We can't bribe God. God is a father who loves his sons and daughters and says, I want to take care of you. And whether we're walking in our identity or not, a lot of times we, in evangelical church, we think, well, if you don't walk in your identity, God's not going to bless you. And if you don't walk and do this the right way, God's blessing stops. It's absolutely wrong. God's blessing never stopped. It's just if we're able to receive it. So many times in our lives, we get blinded to things that we don't receive. We're not able to open ourselves up to receive from God. I've been there. We've all been there. And we, we miss it. And then we realize we missed it. We're like, totally missed that train when it was coming. But God waits for us. He called us out of darkness and says, open your eyes to me. I call you priest, I call you sons and daughters, I call you the uh, a royal heir to my kingdom. So we have the ability to go to God. Until we see ourselves the way the Father sees us through the blood of Jesus, and we realize we have worth, we'll ne- never be able to see people or see the value that, that God sees in them. Until we start to see the value that we have. Until we start to see the, the worth that God has created in us. God put this on my heart. I, 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 there's a worth issue. And God says, you're worth it. I see a great amount of value in each and every one of you. Your worth is, is beyond measure to me. More than you even realize. We put worth in, in this. You know? When I was younger, it was like, oh, I have to have all this. I have to have this, the, the best of this, and I have to be, have the best of this, and I want the best iPad, and I want the best phone, and I want, because I put a worth in it. Holy Spirit's moving. <laughs> and God says, worth is not found in, in things, not found in the objects that you can. He goes, the worth is found in who you are. We don't even realize who we are. I don't think any of us are going to fully understand who we are until we get to heaven. We stand before God and we go, oh, yeah, totally. Get it now. Now I totally understand that. Way off on that one. But he sees so much value in us. We look at our children and we go, man, you're crazy sometimes, but would you give them up for anything? No, absolutely not. I will fight you. I will do whatever I have to do to take care of my kids. I've pushed, a, I've pushed a fifth grader into a locker for my kid. I'm not proud of it, but I have. He was pestering my daughter one time at a play, and I said, stop, and went like that and pushed him away. <laughs> I was like, my wife's like, don't worry about it. Everybody does that to him. Um, and we get protective of our kids. We take care of our kids, almost to a point where it's like, oh, I probably shouldn't have done that. I took too, well care, too good a care of them. But God provides for us, and we... we he calls us out of the darkness into the light and we're like, oh, hey, there's God. I see who he is. I see that he loves us. I see that he, he wants the best for me, that he has things for me, that his peace is there for me. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more than he loves you right now. 
Nothing you can say, nothing you can do. No act, no giving. You can write the biggest check you want and we'll greatly appreciate that, but that's not going to make God love you. There's nothing you can do to make God love you more. His love is 360 degrees everywhere you go and you can't touch the sides of it. You ever been in a a small room and you just kind of go like that and touch the sides? The love of God is not like, oh, there's the end of the love of God and there's the end of the love of God. So if I step out here, nope, not the love of God. Now I'm in the love of God. It doesn't work that way. Everywhere in my house, I can touch the walls most of the time. We have a small house. and um, Yeah, any of the, the bedrooms, you can pretty much touch a wall, two walls at one time. And um, it made me think because we, we, so many times, even though the love of God hasn't left, we, we, we actually punish ourselves and take ourselves out of the love of God. Well, I'm just not worthy to be loved by God. And, and God, you just shouldn't love me because I did this and I did this. And God's just like, well, duh, I knew you were going to do that already. But I love you. So don't take yourselves out. You ever had, my wife, if you guys remember our old dog, Kai, um, a couple of you will. Um, he was a lab and pincher mix. And anytime that he did something wrong, he would punish himself. He, he, would, he would look at her and he'd bite his tail like, I'm punishing myself. See me, I'm punishing myself. And he would go and he'd punish himself and he'd go lay in the corner of like three hours and then he'd come back up and go, like, am I done being punished? We do that with God. We don't bite our tail, but I mean, we, we punish ourselves and we're like, man, I can't believe I did that. And I'm just gonna, I'm not gonna talk to God right now because he's mad at me and I just, I'll come back later when it, I think I smoothed it over a little bit and then I'll come back and talk to him. And God's just like, I never left you. I've been standing there waiting for you to turn around and say, hey, oh, I'm sorry. He doesn't, he doesn't leave us. He doesn't forsake us. So why do we punish ourselves as sons and daughters of God who loves us and no sin can ever make him love us less? When my kids are sleeping, I creep up in their bedroom. And um, a lot of times, well, Layla, I can't anymore. Layla sleeps like a feather. And she, what are you doing? I'm like, I creak. And she's like, who's here? You know, and um, so I can't walk through the living room into her room because the door creaks just a little. And there's a one board, one of these, and I can't remember which one it is when I'm creeping in there at night. But I'll sit up in my kids' room for 15 minutes. And while they're sleeping, I'm, I'm there like midnight praying over my kids. And I declare things over my kids. And I, I speak their destiny into their kids. I speak scripture and their identity over my kids. I do it from the outside of Leo's room, but just, you know, because I don't want to wake her up because she sleeps really light. But daily God stands over us and calls us out. He calls our destiny out in us. He calls out who we are. He calls out our birthright. He calls out our inheritance. He calls out who you are and how much he loves you. I've been texting my daughter all week, even though she doesn't have her phone. She, our, her phone is at, well, Sarah has it. She's down there. She's been at camp for the last week at equestrian, or I don't know, some kind of horse camp, whatever it is. And I've been texting her every day. I really miss you today. You're amazing. I love you. I can't wait to see you. I, like, this is the first time she's been away. She's like two and a half hours away. I'm, I'm like, we're leaving. I'm like, is she going to be all right? My wife's like, are you going to be all right? I'm like, I don't think so. And I'm just like, I'm like, she's 13. She's never been away for more than like 
two days and she's like two and a half hours. I can't go beat up somebody if I need to beat them up for her. I'm like, I don't know if I can do this every day. I'm like, is she okay? Sarah's like, she's fine. Don't worry about it. I'm like, are you sure she's okay? I hope she's having fun. And she's like, she's fine. But God cares about us more than we can even fathom about how much I care for my daughter. He is so focused on us. And he's still standing there, man. He goes, he's waking up. You're waking up in the morning. He's like, good morning. You have an amazing destiny. You're my son. You're my daughter. You're going to bring life to wherever you walk today. People are going to see you and they're going to see Jesus. They're going to see how much I love them. If God had a phone, you imagine how quick your phone would be blowing up all the time? You're amazing. I love you. You're, you're my son. You're my daughter. You have uh, provision. You have this. Your, your phone would be blowing up all the time. You'd have to put it on silent because he'd be texting you all the time going, I love you so much. You're amazing. I hope none of your windows are down. That would be one of his texts probably right now. Um, but he calls you out and says, this is who you are and this is how much I love you. We need to start saying to people, this is who you are. When we believe it, we can start declaring it to other people. This is who you are. This is how much God loves you. This is what God wants you to be. Start calling out people's destiny. Start encouraging them. Start encouraging, even though their life may be a mess, saying, man, you're really good at this. Man, God is giving you a gift for this. God loves it when you do this. Encourage them in who they are right now. Because the gospel is good news and they need good news. We are a world full of bad news. In those last two weeks, it's just been bad news after bad news. You can't turn on the news without somebody, something happening. And people need good news. So when we can call out people who don't even know God, we call out their destiny and we call out something good in them. They need good news. The gospel is irresistible. The love of God is irresistible. The kingdom of God is irresistible because once you're in it and once you see who it is and what it is, you can't turn it down. God wants you to call out people's destiny. God wants you to call out the, the goodness in them because he wants to restore them to him. Let's close our eyes. I believe in our lives, every one of us in this room, we're, we've believed a lie or we're believing a lie about something that is contrary to what God says about us. I don't know what it is. It could be who you are, the destiny you have, but I believe that God you're believing a lie about something, about you, yourself, someone else, whatever it is, But God says, I want to upgrade you. I want to give you an upgrade. I want, to, I want to change the way that you're thinking. I want to change the way that you see this person or you see yourself or you see a perspective in life. 